0: I want to kick off the first episode by introducing the Leadership Academy and talking briefly about how this podcast fits into that program. The Leadership Academy is a guided discussion and curriculum. It's going to have three parts. first part is a shared reading. It's going to change as we move on throughout the year. The first book that we're having the firefighters read is Extreme Ownership. The officers will be reading Developing the Leader Within You 2.0 by John Maxwell. We're also hoping to have a guest speaker and a workshop. The reason that we're rolling out a leadership academy right now within Gainesville Fire Rescue, uh, there's a couple reasons. First is there's a lot of youth in our department. Our department's very young. That presents an opportunity as well as a risk. It's an opportunity if we capture that, you know, that chance to train people and to engage them in leadership as well as just overall training on fire service skills and, and knowledge. It's a risk if we don't take that opportunity. So um, we actually had a lot of people come to myself and some of the members of the executive team asking for really a more robust leadership training program, and that's what led to the leadership academy that we're trying to roll out. Another reason is that I think a lot of people would agree leadership is a determining factor for success, right? Right. Our first book, Extreme Ownership, has a chapter dedicated to, there's no bad teams, only bad leaders. So that's something that we were very bought into. We think that the fire truck or a public safety unit, like an ambulance or a fire truck or a squad or something like that, is the quintessential team. You have a group of people that are constantly being sent on a mission. And uh, leadership is the determining factor for success in their ability to accomplish that mission. And then also, I think our department, in my opinion, and and that's probably another topic I'd like to talk about with our first guest, has a, a very good culture, and it took a lot of deliberate effort to get that culture, and part of what has contributed to that is the current leadership that we have amongst our officers. And then ultimately, we just want to provide a tool for people to develop themselves, and I use the language develop themselves because you can give people the tools, but they have to make a deliberate action to grow when it comes to leadership. As a training officer, what I would hope to do is give them everything that they need to go on that journey. So that leads us to the podcast. The podcast is just going to spark a discussion on leadership. We want to hear from leaders. We want to hear from people that have had and worked for multiple leaders and what their perspectives were. And hopefully, whether you are currently in a position of leadership or you're aspiring to be, that these are conversations that will give you things to think about and maybe ideas on how to improve Welcome to Sharpen Your ax I'm Chief Sutton. Before I introduce our first guest, I want to talk briefly about one important definition of leadership, which is influence. According to John Maxwell, leadership is influence. That's one definition of it. So you might have a well-respected firefighter who always works hard and maintains a high standard and the people around that firefighter emulate that behavior. You might have a supervisor that sets a high standard and leads by example. And the people that work for that supervisor naturally also emulate that behavior. And then you might have well-trained subject matter experts that either teach or they're constantly engaging in workshops and classes and they bring that knowledge back. And they have a big influence on what the department does, and even sometimes everything down to how we write our SOGs. But ultimately, you have people that work very hard to improve themselves and set an example for those around them. So that sort of allows me to segue to our first guest, Chief Don Campbell. Chief Campbell's been with Gainesville Fire Rescue for over 19 years. He is currently the senior district chief and the USAR team leader. He's also the lead instructor for fire programs at the Florida State Fire College. Chief Campbell is someone who has had a strong influence on the culture of our fire department. He's been a part of a, somewhat of a cultural revolution pushing our department towards you know, maintaining a higher standard, not just in competency, but also in fitness, as well as leadership. Um, and in a recent D.C. evaluation where the district chief's lieutenants evaluated the district chief that they were working for, his employees passionately identified him as a chief they want to work for and the, a chief that motivates them to do a better job. So I think speaks highly of the type of influence that Chief Campbell has in our department. Chief Campbell, welcome to the first podcast. Sort of interesting, something our department hasn't done before.
1: Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah.
0: No, we're excited i hope that people tune in and get something out of it so you heard our intro we're moving forward with a guided discussion on leadership trying some formats that we haven't really tried before the first question really i would ask you is why is effective leadership so important
1: well leadership in, in an emergency situation um, you know which is where it would apply to to what we're doing is the most important thing in success that's not to overvalue the skills that everyone that shows up to the scene has, but if those skills aren't cultivated and led in the right direction, then success is, or better success, is not always reached. So being able to lead in those situations is one of the most important things, not just for the safety of us, but more importantly, for the safety of the citizens.
0: What are some experiences you've had with effective leadership? And we're talking about leadership in both just in the fire service, but also
1: in those emergency scenes. I think the number one thing that, Um, for a leader to um, their philosophy is, and I think we'll probably talk about um, Jocko Willink in in a little bit and and some of the ideas he has, but is of decentralized command. And essentially what decentralized command is, is that you allow your subordinates to have the intent and the purpose or the direction that the department wants them to go. And then you allow them to go out and carry those things out. And that has to start at the top and work its way down. And that allows people to exercise freely You know, once we arrive on Athena, scene, it gives them the freedom to be able to make decisions as they see it. And that's what makes us effective. You know, one person, one chief that shows up can't know and see everything. So you need those officers and really everybody on the fire ground at a certain level to be able to operate independently and see things and make decisions and do things. Um, There's a lot that goes into that. It can't just be a a free-for-all. You know, a lot of training and everybody being on the same page with the ideas of what we're trying to accomplish but then being able to let those people carry those things out. And that's really not just on a fire scene or an emergency scene, but really day-to-day is to be decentralized where you're allowing the lieutenants to run the stations and their crews and the district chiefs are providing some guidance on that. That being said, it's a big responsibility for all of us, you know, as a department to make sure that the people that, when they make those decisions, have the tools they need in place to be able to make good decisions. And so I, I think what you see is that, People that are able or allow decentralized command to happen are going to have the most success. Conversely to that, if you have centralized command where you have someone who needs to hold on to every single thing, um, make every decision, that team or crew, district, department, however you want to dice it up, they're not going to have the ultimate success because one person can't know and do everything. Um, And then that limits the talent that you have and then being able to let their talent show. And so, you know, in my experience, those leaders who have utilized decentralized command, even if they didn't realize that's what it was, ultimately have the most success. And so I think you've started to see some of these terms being coined and people kind of understanding what they mean. And that's where you see people having a lot of success. And it goes right down to calls. You see it on a call.
0: When you talk about decentralized command, and correct me if I'm wrong, that it Seems like it's the opposite of micromanaging, right? Or...
1: Yeah, that that it's the exact opposite yeah. of micromanagement. And that being said, I mean, you know, another uh, a term that's out there is called dichotomy, right? There's mm-hmm. there's a dichotomy, and it's not always an absolute. So it's not like we say, hey, we want to utilize decentralized command, and then that's the end of the end mm-hmm. of the day. There is a dichotomy of just because you're allowing decentralized command to happen, allowing your people to work freely, it doesn't absolve you of any responsibility. So you still have to guide that sometimes. But you're right, it's the exact opposite of micromanagement. And that's what we want to try to stay away from. That being said, for us who are looking for our superiors to give us that um, decentralized command, we have to make sure that we're moving in the right direction and doing the right thing so that we're giving confidence to our superiors to allow us to do that. Because if we're not, then yeah, they're probably going to step in, and that is not necessarily micromanagement. That is they're responsible, and we have to drive, uh, you know, the situation the way it needs to go.
0: When I think about what you're describing as decentralized command versus micromanagement, sometimes I think, and this is just, you know, my own idea, that if someone's micromanaging, it's because they don't really know how to hold a standard, how to maintain a standard. So they're what they they confuse micromanaging for, for leading people to doing something to a proper standard. but
1: Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think to back up a little bit uh, before just jumping right mm-hmm. off into, you know, decentralized command is that, you know, all of us, starting from when we come here, we need to have an understanding of what is our mission? What are we doing here? For us at, at the fire department, our mission is to serve the citizens. Like, that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, you can tie a bunch of stuff to that, but at the end of the day, Our job is to serve the citizens when they need us, whatever that is. And that could be on an emergency situation or or not, but our job is to serve them. And so having everybody understand that mission and what it takes to accomplish it is really where you need to step off. And I think what you find is people that don't feel comfortable um, in the job they're in or in their skills or just in themselves is they want to latch on to things that are absolute for them. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that may be micromanaging or having to make every decision because you don't feel confident in, in yourself in what are we doing here? Mm-hmm. Like what's my role and how do I carry that role out and how do I allow others to carry their role out? So then you grab onto everything and you want to micromanage and you're really not going to have ultimate success when you, when you do that. Uh, because none of us have the bandwidth or the smarts or it, it's just not possible. You can't manage that many things. And especially, you know, when you're talking about um, a lot of what you hear about leadership comes from the corporate world, right, which is a, a lot different world than than what we live in. And that doesn't mean that some of those concepts can't still apply, but this is a very dynamic situation, um, a dynamic environment that we operate in, which is why I think that, you know some of the stuff that's come out lately from the military like jocko and leif babbin why that resonates so much in what we do because they've also been in an even more dynamic environment you know than we operate in and so their ideas and their successes really resonate with what we do but you really have to have an understanding of what our mission is and how do we need to accomplish that and when you don't have that confidence you know in yourself or in in what we're doing then it, it's very difficult to Um, allow people to operate freely and to have that ultimate success.
0: Well, that sort of brings up a question that I had written down further down the line, which is, you know, one of your reputations is sort of that you helped raise the bar. For some people that are just sort of starting their journey on leadership, the concepts of raising the bar and maintaining a standard, you know, can lead you to, over-managing your folks if you're not really aware of some best practices there. You do have that reputation in our department. You helped raise the bar. I think the other day I sent you a picture because I was working overtime. It was a holiday, and every single person at a multi-company station was outside doing a very strenuous workout. And I kind of laughed to myself because I thought, you know, 10 years ago I'm not sure I would have seen that if I would have shown up on Thanksgiving. But it was, a, it was a given that that was going to happen, and everyone was out there doing it. And I, and I sent you that picture saying, you know, I think you've come a long ways among with others to shape the department in terms of how motivated they might be. How do you raise the bar? How do you maintain a standard but also give people the freedom to perform?
1: Well, a couple things can kind of tie into that. First, although I appreciate it, I'm not sure that I deserve credit for that, I think what has happened over the last 20 years is, you know, we started to have big hiring classes. Um, I got hired in 2001 and shortly after that we started having big hiring classes and we just hired some really good people. And I think collectively we've all raised the bar because, you know, we hired people that push each other and, you know, strive for perfection. Mm -hmm. And while that also can lead to some, um, you know, nobody's perfect. So that can be Mm -hmm. tough on you sometimes, but people strive for that. And so I think what we've done is we've really helped each other raise that bar Mm -hmm. by challenging each other, and really putting it out there. And we've hired some really, really good people that have had a huge impact on the department and me too. I mean, the people that we hired made me raise my bar. And I, so you know, I think with time, you know, w- what happened is we at some point had an understanding that what we do is very important to the people that we serve. For me specifically, I won't speak for anyone else, but that's a huge responsibility. And I think I understand how big of a responsibility that is. And, you know, one of the things I tell the kids at the fire college sometimes is, you know, nowadays, when you have a child, usually the parents interview pediatricians, right, before they choose one to take care of their child. But at three in the morning, if their kid's stuck on the second floor of a house fire, they don't even care what hair color you have. Yeah. They just want you to go save their kid. And that's an unbelievable responsibility that's been placed on us. And so there's a lot that goes into being able to uphold that responsibility. And it's very, very important you can't pretend like you have to be able to do it and to be able to do those things comes way before that call goes off. And so Sergeant Major Daly, who was the command sergeant major of the army who retired in recent times. um, If you Google him, he's got some not necessarily leadership ideas, but just ideas of how to be good. But some of them are leadership. And one of the things he says is that wars are won at 6 AM and obviously we're not going to war early in the morning is usually when the military exercises. That's when they do their PT. So for him to say that like wars are won at 6am because of the fitness and the discipline that gives you really is going to build discipline in other areas of your life. And I think what you've seen with us is you've seen a commitment to being in good shape because our job is physical and there's really no way around that. And there's no way to go to a call and then pretend you're in shape. You either are or you are not. And so I think the department has really made a commitment to that even before you know, culture revolution or whatever you want to call it, we put dedication to fitness. I think now you've just seen it embraced from the ground up. And so people are dedicated to that because they do understand how good a shape you need to be in. And then for us just taking care of each other, you know, you want to get to the end of your career and not be, you know, have a broken body. You want to be in the best shape you can be in so that you can enjoy your, your retirement years. And so I think that fitness and our nutrition has improved Tremendous amount that will allow us to be able to do that. And the environment has changed that we work in, you know, from the people that came before us that kind of paved the way for us and the, you know, and I, I'll just think in the 70s and 80s because that was the last generation, but even before that, they did a lot of work, they had a lot of jobs, they fought a lot of fire. And so, you know, they kind of, Paved the way, but now the environment we work in is a lot different. You know, it's not just cellulose wood materials we're dealing with, but you're dealing with a lot of synthetics, and things burn really hot and they burn really fast. And so, the jobs that we're doing are a lot different. And you know, not that one is harder or less than the other, but it, it is different. And you know, we wear gear that encapsulates us more. You're exposed to more heat. You go deeper in buildings, and so. You know, those are things that require us to be in a lot better shape because of the strain that can go on your body. And so, you know, I think it's a collective effort of everybody that we've hired over the last 20 years that has helped build that. You know, one of the other things, and I think this is something that we constantly have to work on, is being honest with ourselves and honest with each other. And, uh, you know, everybody kind of in society now wants to get uh, immediate gratification and a fuzzy feeling on the inside and that's great, but, you know, with us, like, we need to be honest with ourselves and and with each other about where we're at, and, you know, if we make mistakes or we're not keeping up in certain areas, then we need to recognize that, and our peers, superiors, um, subordinates are going to let us know that, and, you know, one of the things that I try to tell the people that I work with and the lieutenants is, look, if I'm not doing something, um, I want you to tell me, or, you know, Chief Hillhouse, Chief Rice, or whoever is running the show, if I'm not getting something done, I want them to tell me that because I I don't want to be bad at my job. And sometimes you don't know, I need people to be honest with me. And then conversely, I'm going to be honest with them. And that's not always comfortable. That's a difficult thing to do because, you know, we all want to get along and you want people to be happy. And, you know, sometimes that honesty can, you know, those conversations are very, very difficult. I know they are for me, um, receiving them and giving them even, you know, when somebody tells you, Hey man, you're not doing this right, or you're missing, You know, people have had those conversations with me and you're resistant initially, you know, that's your instinct is to say, all right, you know, you have some kind of an excuse, but I think if you eliminate excuses from your algorithm about how you approach things, then even if you don't like what you're hearing initially, it'll allow you to absorb that and then hopefully make a necessary change in whatever that area is and so you can make it better and, you know, uh, I don't tolerate excuses and I don't expect people to tolerate them from me. And if I make them, then I expect to be called on it because really that's the only way that we can improve. And, you know, so I think all of that is tied into what you said about, you know, how I don't know that we've changed. I think the the environment that we work in has forced us to change. Um, and now we understand things that maybe we didn't understand in the past about nutrition and fitness and, you know, what happens to us after we retire and being able to carry out our job now. And, you know, for me, it's, it's very, very simple. Um, you know, when I look at, at the crews that we work with or, you know, wherever I'm at is that, you know, when somebody calls us, no matter what the problem is, we have to be successful. Failure isn't an option. And so for us to obtain that or get really close to attaining that, is we have to put the work in beforehand. And that starts at 8 a.m. when we get there and you know, you put your stuff on the truck and we do a, a check of the, you know, the essentials on the truck. And then we're out there and we're exercising or, or doing training and exercising at the same time. But well, we have to be prepared for you know anything that we're going to face in that shift and beyond because it's a constant thing you can't just show up one day and work out and you're ready to go it's a lifestyle mm-hmm. it's really a accepting hey this is what i'm going to do and, and i'm going to try to raise that bar as high as i can and i think everybody we have a lot of people the majority of people have that attitude and when you do that the bar continues to raise so to circle back around to what you said i, I think it's a culmination of all of us doing that with each other is uh you know, raising the bar and pushing each other, challenging each other to get better in every area so that we can serve the citizens the best we can. And that really is what it all comes back to is that we're here to serve the citizens. And I think as long as that's our focus and everybody understands that, you know, then you can apply what we need to do to be able to accomplish that.
0: So, right now, in my mind, when I step back and view the department, so I, specifically in my role as the training chief, I every now and then like, try to take a step back and see well, what am I missing? What does the department look like? And right now, I feel as though we have a lot of brand new employees. Then we have a lot of young employees that are about to take the driver's test or have just made driver. Um, So we have a lot of young employees, a lot of brand-new or soon-to-be drivers. And so that sort of puts us in an interesting position with leadership because all those people that are going to take the driver's test, and and we just exhausted a driver's list a month ago, and in a month we'll put on a driver's test, and there's already two people, from what I can tell, there'll be two people waiting to get picked right off that list, which means that inevitably you'll have people that are right out of the gate wanting to ride out, I mean, I think I probably did that also when you were my district chief when that happened. You have a group of people that are just about to take the driver's test or they just made driver in the last year. And they're already pretty much, you know, for the most part, looking to the next promotion. What is it you want them to know about preparing themselves to be officers? Because they're close and some of them may even make officer in a year or two. Mm
1: -hmm. I think to back up even further than people that are about to make driver and then want to be a lieutenant is from the day you come on the job, you should be preparing for those steps. And not that you know you're going to get promoted to that. when I came here, that wasn't even a thought in my mind. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to go to a fire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, right. that, it was as simple as that. But you, you start preparing yourself the very first day you get here by how you carry yourself, how you approach your job. You know, this is a profession. We're mm-hmm. professional firefighters of Gainesville, right? That's what our, our union or a lot of our shirts say. And so, you know, how we approach being professional really starts from the day you get here and, you know, understanding, all right, right now this is my job and I'm going to be the best I can at doing, being the new person. Mm-hmm. And then the best I can at being the, I used, just used to be a new person. And, and so it really is how you carry yourself and the example that you set from the beginning. And when we talk about leadership, you know, it's what we started off talking about is really, you're in orientation, you can be a leader. Are you going to be in a leadership position? No, you're not going to be in a leadership position, but you can lead by the example that you set, and not with your words, but with your actions, and that really is what is going to set you up to be successful, to be one of those people who um, is about to make driver, and their next step will be to ride out, and then, you know, if they, they choose to try to take the lieutenant's test, so you're preparing for that early, and you need to be preparing for that every day when you come to work, and that's learning as much as you can, and You know, really, as you move up, people expect you to have mastered the position that you just left. And if you really want to be relevant as a lieutenant and then as a chief officer, you have got to demonstrate that proficiency. And the only way you can demonstrate that is on calls, Mm -hmm. you know, and you're not getting five fires a day to be able to prove that. So you really have to prepare yourself for when those opportunities come, you have to step up and hit the ball. Like you can't not get it done. If you really want to be relevant in those later positions, you've got to do it you know, really starting out. And then even if you didn't, you have to realize, okay, well now I got to pick my game up and learn more and just know all as much as I possibly can. And so I think the important thing to teach our new people is to be the example. It's important to put your gear on fast. It's important to put your gear on faster than the person sitting across from you, because that's going to drive both of you to be better. It's important to know what every piece of equipment does on that truck as a new person, because then fast forward a few years, when you are the lieutenant, you've mastered that. And so when the next new people come in, you're an expert at all of those things. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think it's important to try to make that standard of, and not everybody's going to be a lieutenant, not everybody's going to be a driver. And those are okay. If you choose not to, that's great. Mm Because we need people of senior rank and in all of our positions just make sure that you are an expert in what you've chosen to do, whatever that is. Not everybody needs to promote, not everybody wants to, and there should be nothing wrong with that. We should prop up those who are senior in their rank, whatever it is, because those are the gatekeepers for that position. And, you know, I think sometimes we get caught up in the everybody needs to get promoted. Well, everybody can't be the fire chief. You know what I mean? It it gets smaller the more upward you go. So I think what we need to Focus on is just being really, really good at where you're at, and that is preparing for the next step. So if you come in and you're you're the new person and you're working really hard to, to know all of the equipment and how it works, and then you start applying it to calls and you start learning the tactics of the officers and the chiefs, and you start remembering those things, goods and bads, things that worked and didn't work, and then you start looking at, you know, our drivers and we have some amazing drivers and you need to start looking at them and picking their brain and asking them questions and learning. Even if you're not ready to write out, start learning about how that job works and how to pump the truck. Learn your numbers. You don't have to not learn your numbers till it's time for the driver's test. You should already be learning that stuff, that stuff you can do on your own. You don't need anybody to teach you. Like you can get a printout, print it out, make flashcards and learn it on your own. And those are the type of things that are going to set you up for success. And you see that we're going to see that on this driver's list where you're going to have some people who have prepared themselves are going to have ultimate success and they're going to get through that. And then they have to apply that same mindset to the next step is I've learned all of these things and now I need to master this. And I don't mean master it like you have to master it for 30 years and be Jason Powell, the driver, but Mm -hmm. you've got to be competent in what you're doing. You know, if you want to be relevant as an out-of-class officer or lieutenant is people need to say, you know, Hey, when they were a driver, they did a really good job Mm -hmm. and um, they were competent at that. And that's what is going to give people belief in what you're selling. If you just kind of show up and, you know, whatever, and you never demonstrated that ability, it's a little bit more difficult for people to buy into what you're selling. And that doesn't even mean the way our process is set up. You don't necessarily have to make driver even to take the lieutenant's test. Mm-hmm. But you're going to get a lot of chances at it as, as an out-of-class driver. So whether you wear a shirt that says it or not, you need to demonstrate that proficiency you know, and that skill before you move on. And so I think that's the message – to everybody but you know especially those that are going to make driver and then they're going to want to make that step is you've got to prove your relevance and your competence in what you're doing and by doing that that's going to get people to believe in your ability to do the next step because you've already shown that I can I can take this and absorb it and show competency you know and then you need to start picking the brains of the officers around you and understand and say hey why did you make this decision why did you attack the fire this way why did you handle you know Dave Sutton this way in this situation and why did you decide to do that with him whether that's a emergency call or not, and start picking the brain of people so that you can understand how the inner workings of the department, how the department operates, and then also how leaders make decisions. You know, what kind of algorithm do you need to put in place to be able to make um, decisions? And, you know, I think for them, if you focus on the citizens and serving the citizens, and that's at the end of your algorithm, you're going to end up being able to get the right formula for success. And competence is really what we're shooting for and caring for other people. Um, You know, I saw a shirt recently from Rich Froning, um, you know, he was a CrossFit champion. It said, serve on the front of it. And really like that's, that's what we've chosen to do is we've chosen to serve other people. And when you choose a life of service, like we've said before, that comes with huge responsibility. So, you know, being, you know, taking ownership in what you're doing. Don't make excuses, it's not on anybody else. I will accept ownership for what I'm doing and do it really well. And backing up a little bit earlier, where we were talking about being honest with each other, you got to have a little sand in your gut because sometimes those things you're not going to always have success. And I know for me personally, I have a little bit of a perfectionist personality, so like I think I should be able to perform perfectly in everything, and that's that's not possible. You know, Jesus was the only person that walked on Earth that was perfect. The rest of us are imperfect. And so when you have to face up to some of those failures, that can be very very difficult. It is for me, but that's where you have to be honest and you got to be tough and you got to move on from that. Fix the problem and then move on, and you know that's what I try to tell the young people. You're going to make mistakes, and those are okay. Just don't let them happen again. Fix whatever caused it, and then move on. Accept it, and don't don't blame it on somebody else. You know I can tell you the story of the the Atkin storage fire for the people that were there, and there was there was this guy that was driving Quint Five at the time who set the ladder up wrong, right? Because we have the pin, and it's pinned in rescue. He didn't go up and change it to pin it for um, aerial. Uh, water operations and so when the stick went up you know the nozzle is at still at the base section and not with the with the fly section well everybody there knew that that was a screw-up right so what are you going to do like blame some of the stuff that was going on around you no at the end of the day you're the one driving the truck so if you didn't set the pin it's your fault that was me so that was tough to swallow Um, when we got back to the station before the fire was even over someone had put a screensaver at five that said number one driver with a picture of that Mm -hmm. and so like I mean what are you going to do like your initial instinct is be like well it was this person's fault no dude you were driving the truck it was your fault and um you know so those are mistakes that you can't undo that but what you can do from that is move on and try to get better and make sure that that mistake never happens again and those are the things that will push you to be better and make less mistakes. And then that in turn is raising the bar on your performance. And so I think that's the message for those that are about to take this driver's test is one, I don't know if you're going to hear this before the test, but you need to be out there pumping every day mm-hmm. and preparing. I mean, that that's what it takes. And then once you do that, you know, take the experience that you've had with preparing for that test and apply that to your other things, apply that to being really good at being a driver. And then when you start making that next step, you know, don't just show up me like, Hey, I want to ride out today. Like prepare yourself for that. Know all of your SOGs, know the union contract, study tactics. Pick the brain of people that you think, you know, have good tactics. You're gonna have good leaders and bad leaders, or you may have good leaders that do bad things and you wanna catalog those things and be like, Well, I'm never gonna do that if I'm in a leadership position or hey, I really like how this person handled that and that's how I wanna be. And so, you know, you really gotta show up to work every day ready to be better than you were yesterday.
0: No, I think that's great. I think that's a I mean, that captured a lot of well, we want new hires to hear, and we have a lot of those. I mean, we have some that are coming on in, in February. We are probably eight or nine people. And, you know, that means people that came on this past August are now have seniority. Um, so they have to start setting the example. I mean, they may ultimately be on the truck with someone who's got one week. I agree with you. It's important that we communicate that message that, you know, they have to be honest about what they know and don't know, because even though you're the senior firefighter at one year, there's a lot of things you don't know, Mm. right? And so you have to be honest about that, but then you also have to set the example. Like, what are you doing to pursue that knowledge, right? I'm very hopeful that people that are aspiring to be officers have picked up from the most recent group that, it's not just about when I feel like it, I'll take the test. It's about what do I know? Am I ready? Mm-hmm. Like, am I ready to do this? Because some of the folks that took the last test were very ready. Like, as ready as I've seen people be, I thought, to be honest. I definitely felt like they were more ready for the position than I was when I had it. And I I, mean, I, I looked at that and felt very humbled. But I also felt very good about it that, okay, we're, we're moving in the in the right direction. But I definitely want the aspiring officers to know, okay, it's not... When you show up on scene, you're it. You know, you have to have the answer cuz you have a young crew and they may not know what to do. They may maybe their first day. You have to know what to do if you're the one in charge. John Sissio the other day was in my office and he was telling me he said something that I thought was really good. I wrote it down it was, you know, for you to be a leader in a field, you should be a student of that field to as much as you can. I I sort of like the way he phrased it. I'm not sure I captured it quite as well as he did, but uh, I sort of enjoyed the idea that, you know, you really have to be at least attempting to achieve mastery for you to then say, well, now I want to be in the leadership position in in this field. And I think that really stuck with me. I don't know that I have always had the ability to achieve the mastery to the level that I was comfortable with, but that's where that honesty part comes, right? So no excuses, right? It's... You know, you have to own what your weaknesses are and just constantly work on improving them. Um, And I think sometimes that part is important for our very newest firefighters that maybe don't always feel comfortable talking to people about what they know or don't know or what they don't feel good at. And maybe they just don't want to admit to not knowing something, especially, you know, you're at a station, a multi-company station with a lot of people that are very good at what they do. And I think that's one of the reasons we chose that Extreme Ownership book to be the first book, because people really have to be able to have a conversation about what they know and don't know, right? I mean, there's, it's okay to make mistakes as long as you own them and work to improve on them versus just make excuses for them and then don't grow in that direction. So and I, I definitely feel like that's something that, uh, I mean, I, you, know, you were my district chief, and I definitely felt that from you, whereas you expected growth. You know, it was okay to make mistakes from time to time. And I made some, but you expected growth. One of the things that you talk a little bit about is sort of that concept of the mission, right? You're talking a lot about, we're here to serve the citizens. Sometimes the way we we deliver that concept from an institutional point of view is the mission statement. But really, that's like scraping the surface, because people memorize it. Now, how do we know that they really understand it? Like... How do you think you communicate that with some of your crews?
1: I think, and you're spot on with what John John said about being a student of the game, just to back up a little bit, you Mm -hmm. you have to be a student of your profession um, or you're not going to achieve ultimate success. And and ultimate success isn't a position or a title. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, you know, wherever you go in your career that you're always working to be the best that you can be. I mean, we all have different talent levels. I mean, we are not all equal in talent or ability. But whatever yours is, be the best that you have. He's spot on with that. And just one other thing, I think, you know, you have to be humble enough. You know, and people haven't always accused me of being humble, but I think you have to look inside somebody. Humbleness can mean a lot of different things. If you're humble enough to say, hey, I don't know something or, you know what, like, you know, you pointed this out that I did wrong and you were right. I'm going to fix that now. Like, that's important to be able to do that because you can't grow and learn you know, and get better if you don't do those things. That's how um, you exercise where you're at. And, and then you go from there. And then, you know, what you just said about being able to make mistakes, we have to allow each other to make mistakes. I hope that wherever I am, the people that, that are working with me, yes, I'm going to be demanding of you, very demanding, because that's what the mission calls for, right? The mm-hmm. mission is to, is to serve the citizens. But it, we're all going to make mistakes. I'm going to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. And so that's okay as long as we can acknowledge, hey, this was a mistake, and then this is what we're going to do to fix it and get better. And, hey, we're, we're moving on. Mm-hmm. You know, where we have problems this is when we want to make excuses and blame others and not be able to work on that, what caused that mistake. That's where the problems come in. And as long as we can be honest about those, uh, we'll be able to grow and move on. And that's you know it goes back to decentralized command is you want your people to feel free to do things and make decisions. And, you know, what I tell the lieutenants and I, you know, so I moved to a shift in May the the talk I had with those lieutenants and I gave them a little printout of some very unorganized thoughts that, that I think are applicable to what we're doing is I want you to make decisions. Like I can't make all the decisions. And if you wait for me to do that, then we're not going to be successful. And so make the decisions. If it's the wrong decision, we'll fix it. No big deal. As long as our priorities in making that decision are the citizens first You know, the citizens and then the lieutenants are making, you know, the citizens, then the folks that are working for them and then themselves. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, and if we're following that, your decisions are probably going to be right. And if if they're just not applied correctly or there's a tactic, you know, we'll work together to fix those. But if we can just apply that simplicity of the mission is to serve the citizens, then we're going to be successful the majority of the time.
0: Ultimately, this podcast is about leadership. What is something, just changing gears a little bit, what is something that you did that you can point back to that said, this is how I grew in leadership? Like this is a, a deliberate effort I made just to be better at leadership.
1: So, you know, we talked a little bit earlier about mastery of a position before you moving up. I made lieutenant probably a little bit premature for what I I I would be ready for. I I think looking back, I probably needed some more time to marinate before. So so there was a learning curve with the people that worked with me in those first few years where I was a lieutenant where I I don't want to say I didn't know what I was doing. I felt confident in my ability to manage scenes, but maybe not to be the person that was leading the charge and then just around the station. And, you know, I have an intense personality, so, you know, I'm not, uh, you know, run around with a smile on my face all the time and all bubbly, but that doesn't mean I'm not bubbly inside, just kind of how, you know, so... Learning, and I still have to constantly work on some of those things about how you interact in certain situations, but still maintaining that, hey, the standard that I'm going to set forth is the standard, and I won't apologize for that part, but how we manage those things out can be a little bit easier. And so, you know, I think there were um, situations with dealing with more senior employees and then how I was getting them to buy in what I was selling. I was unable at the time to get them to buy into it but I think it was because I was more of what I mentioned earlier, where I wasn't necessarily confident in my ability to interact with those people. And so I latched onto things that were absolute, like, you know, you you will do what I say. Well, that's not really how people in our world or in our career respond well to that, right? You want to influence them because what you're selling they believe is the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. And so there were a, a few of those, and I don't want to get into specifics of them, but there were a few of those that I completely handled in the wrong way. And they just spiraled until they were, I couldn't solve them anymore. And I had to get some help from, you know, Chief Salisbury helped me solve some of those. And so, you know, I think that those are some learning points where I had ultimate failures and said, okay, well, that you have to get better at this. And so that's where I started seeking out, like, how do you influence people? And you've got to get people to buy into what you're selling because they believe in you. And, you know, when you're new, sometimes that can be difficult, especially if, you know, maybe those people didn't think I was ready to be be their lieutenant either. That could have caused some of that. And I, I didn't possess the skills to be able to work around that to, to influence them. So, you know, that was definitely a incident where I said, hey, I have to be better at this, or I'm, I'm not going to be successful. And if I'm not successful, then our team here is not going to be successful. And so, you know, you have to learn from those mistakes. And, you know, ultimately what I had to do was look at myself and be like, Hey man, you're not getting the job done just because, you know, you're letting your ego or whatever it is get in the way, you've got to be able to move that out of the way. And then as we started running calls, one of the first calls I ran on the tower, you know, was a confined space rescue at, at Shans where the you know, right outside the old ER when they were, were redoing it. And just understanding that responsibility. And so, you know, when we got there, it's a technical rescue. They're, they're unusual. This was a real unusual call. Luckily, we had some really good folks on the truck that we were able to work through it. But I think there was like an epiphany there of understanding, like, you have to know what you're doing in all of these different disciplines. And I didn't feel like I was good enough in a lot of them. So, you know, I had really... I'd always kind of been a student because just because, you know, I like doing this. I've always you know read and asked questions and taken classes and gone to conferences and tried to do things to improve myself. But it's like, hey, you really have to get better in doing some of these things and you're going to need to know more. You don't know enough. You got to learn more. So I think understanding that, not thinking that, hey, you have all the answers um, was another point for me where, You know, I look to some of the people that were with us on the truck and I still do that. Look to some of the lieutenants or the senior drivers or the firefighters to help you solve some of those problems because you're ultimately not going to have every answer, but you still need to be working to try to get them, you know, and try to make yourself better every day. And and then I think there were times even before that where calls didn't go the way we wanted them to go, even, you know, before I was a lieutenant or, or riding out of class and I was like... Yeah, you know, I think we could have done better by doing these things. And so when I go back to those calls and I'll still go back to them and try to dissect, Hey, what was wrong with it? And try to point those things out and then try to make sure that maybe I don't have those deficiencies. So, you know, need to be better at incident command or understanding truck tactics or engine tactics or, you know, how we apply the fire streams. If you take the, uh, the 74th place fire, which some of the guys that were there will remember was a big warehouse that had a whole bunch of different shops in it, so there was all, a lot of fire. And initially, we had some smaller hand lines off, and we really weren't doing anything. And, you know, looking back, maybe we should have deployed a master stream to try to get a handle line. So just understanding um, some of those things and how, what we have, how do we apply it to what we're facing. And so I think there were a bunch of those that um, really made me need to focus on individual skill sets of being in a leadership position not necessarily a leader because that could be you know any position but being in that leadership position there were a lot of things where I felt like I was deficient in you know interacting with other people and getting people to do the right thing for the right reason and understanding how I think I understood tactics but then how do you apply them to a certain situation and those were things that made me go back and reevaluate you know my preparation and, and to prepare more.
0: One of the things that I think is very important to me is giving people a path to work on whatever it is that they are work on, right? And so that, I think I view that as sort of my role here as a training officer, even though this office it handles a lot in hiring and promotions and all those things. One of the things that probably, and maybe we'll sort of end on that note, is you know there's a lot of people that when they get here, they have a plan for growth, and they on their own do it, and they find the knowledge, and, and they take the classes, and they develop themselves. And then there's some folks that I think can do it, but they probably need – folks like you and, and their superiors and their officers to shine a light on, hey, why don't you take these classes, right? Um, so we're gonna add nine people in February. What's one thing they can do within the first few years to grow? I mean, when we talk about, you know, be the best you can at something, be a student, what's something specific you would ask them to, uh, maybe a course it is that they can take or a book they can read that you would think, this might make a difference. Just if you didn't know about
1: it, pursue this? Um, well, I, I think, you know, be the example is really the number one thing. That That's for all of us is just <laughs> be the example and, you know, lead by your example of being really good with where your, you know, your responsibility level lies. I really think what the new folks, so the like new folks come in, new folks yeah. that are just here is... You know, we, we put a lot of emphasis on classes, and those are very, very important. and Paramedic school is extremely important. But I think where we don't put enough emphasis is, you know, going to conferences or taking classes that are teaching you a skill that you're going to apply. You know, taking the driver classes is great. Um, you know, taking the company officer classes are, are good. But you're really not going to get out of the company officer classes what you need to deal with specific incidences. You, you'll apply all of that knowledge you know into it but but you need to go and learn about um, engine company operations and the details that go into that and why it works and why this doesn't work and how different fire streams work and you know whatever fire stream you end up choosing for me I'm a more straight stream and smoothbore but if you're not that's fine but understand how they both work don't just pick one because you heard somebody say it and you get that by seeking out people that have that information I think that's something that new people could really do take a truck the truck class and you know we're getting ready to to have a truck class that some of our folks are going to go to, and it's going to be offered a couple times a year mm-hmm. at the fire college. And, you know, so take those classes, and you don't have to take that one. Go somewhere. Go to a, the Fort Lauderdale Fire Conference, Orlando. Um, you know, some phenomenal instructors there from from really all over the United States that are going to have cutting-edge ways to perform these skills and, and how to apply them, and and really try to focus on learning those things because you have to build a foundation of understanding of how to deal with a fire scene, an emergency scene, a hazmat, technical rescue – understanding the whys and why nots of the specific things we do. And that's something those new people can really focus on. I mean, we ask a lot of our new people, um, you know, Jose and that bunch has done an amazing job with our orientation and taking it, you know, from um, just kind of sitting in the back for six weeks to a bunch of years ago, we did one day of engine class to what it's grown into now. We ask a lot of them, but they they have to stand up to that and then take it even another step of I have to learn as much as as possible and really be a student of the game and and really focus on the skills that you're going to need and why and how they work.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and just hearing you talk about that sort of makes me think that we could probably reinvent the rookie book in general. I mean, the rookie book is some (laughs) basic skills that maybe really out of just be completely done by the time they get through orientation sometimes whereas what you're talking about is more like how do you begin this path of learning concepts and i think that it would be interesting to compile a list of you know some of the things that you just mentioned and say hey if you really want to be successful here you need to go get this information some of it will point you in the right direction some of it might be a conference some of it you're just going to have to go get, you know?
1: Yeah. And I think that's an important point of don't sit around and wait for us to spoon feed you. Go get it on your own um, because ultimately that's where you're going to get to where you need to go. If you sit around and wait for other people to give it to you, it's never – I mean – I don't want to say it's never going to happen. You're not going to get to the level of a success you could have if you go and get things on your own. And, you know, we'll give you what you need. I think we do a really good job that, you know, we do the officer classes here. It makes it a little easier for people to get. And that, that's great that we do that. But you need to be seeking stuff out on your own because – There's too much going on for us to spoon feed every individual, every little thing. Like, you've got to be a self-starter. You've got to go out there and be motivated, self-motivated. Like, I shouldn't have to come to you and say, hey, I want you to do more things. I really want people that I have to pull back on. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the way I always wanted. I always wanted, you know, my superiors to have to pull back on me a little bit because I was charging. I never wanted them to think that they needed to you know, push me along because I wasn't giving them enough. Mm -hmm. And so that, you know, that's kind of what I look at too. And that would be the message to the young people is charge hard, be self-motivated, do this on your own. And yeah, we're going to guide you and we'll give you a lot of the things that you need, but it's not going to be, you have to go and want to get it on your own. Don't, I I guess, don't be a minimalist. Mm -hmm. Don't look at what is the minimum requirement and, you know, then do that. And, you know, if you look at like the PT test to to get into fire college, and I, I meet with kids all the time that, you know, we're asking about how to train for it or unsuccessful in it. And a lot of them is, is their mindset is wrong, right? They're, you know, the, the, the PT test to start the fire college is minuscule, Like right? 25 pushups and 45 military sit-ups and you run a mile and a half. You have to, to get into fire two is a 1230 run. And those are very minuscule measurements. So don't come to get 25 push ups and 45 sit-ups. You know, what I tell people is train for a hundred and a hundred and a 10 minute run, You know, and you may not be a fast runner, you may not be great at pushups, but if that's what you're working towards, that's way above the minimum requirement. Don't just shoot for the minimum. Let's shoot way over that. And so it's the same message to, to, you know, to the new folks is that don't just want to finish your rookie book. You know, want to finish your rookie book and know as much as as possible and, you know, try to break it down in stages of, you know, okay, I'm new. So I need to learn where every piece of equipment is. So when they need me to get it, I can get it. And then learn how does every piece of equipment work? You know, where does it come from? how does it work? How do we apply it? And then that leads you into understanding tactics and how to apply those tools to the problem at hand. And it's, you know, kind of an algorithm that gets you there, but don't be a minimalist, go out and learn on your own, be self-motivated, you know, take self-ownership, accept responsibility, admit your faults, don't make excuses. I mean, those are the things that are really the recipe for success.
0: Chief, because this is a learning Academy uh, platform, One of the questions that I wanted to ask you is if you can name a few individuals that come to mind when you think of effective leaders.
1: Yeah, so some of the reading that I've done has led me into some history and become a real like military history, interesting. And when you study some of those people, even though some of the books aren't leadership books, there were some great leadership examples that exist, you know, through history. And one of the persons that comes to mind was George Patton. And, you know, Patton, everyone kind of knows who he is, but when you study, how he did business and how effective he was in World War II, you know, he had some goods and and some bads based on who you talked to, you know, wasn't necessarily extremely popular with his superiors, or even in society when, you know, he had some incidences that come up that weren't super popular with people. However, his abilities on the battlefield were unequaled. And, you know, without his leadership, we might not have won the Battle of the Bulge, which meant we could have lost World War II. And I mean, think about the effect that that would have had on the history of the world. And so you know, during the Battle of the Bulge, um, General Abrams was one of his battalion commanders and he called up General Patton and said, Hey, I'm, I'm really sick of sitting here in the snow and we're kind of not going anywhere. I have this plan to drive over here and take these Germans out. And Patton had enough um, confidence and he utilized decentralized command to say, do it. Mm-hmm. Um, he trusted his subordinate leader and the guy had a good plan and he let him put it in place. And that was the battle that ultimately won the Battle of the Bulge. So You know, when you study that, and even though the, you know, where you read that isn't about, hey, he was this leader person, you see those leadership examples that that come to light in, in big moments in history. And for General Abrams' part, you know, he was revered by the folks that served with him. He was very demanding on the battlefield, so he gave no quarter to you if you didn't perform on the battlefield. But when you weren't on the front lines and his men were in garrison or in reserve, he was not not necessarily lax but his focus wasn't on you know is your uniform neatly pressed like he understood the environment is we're in war and so i need you to do war things and so his folks his men that served under him would do anything for him because they understood and appreciated how he applied his job as the leader. He didn't just cling to the rule book because it was a cool thing to do. He understood that we're in this historic battle and what I need you to focus on are doing these things. And as long as you do those things, then we're going to be successful. If you just look at in the book, Killing Patton, that was like a, a page where mm-hmm. they talked about that, but right. there were such important leadership traits or um, examples in there that we can take away and, and, and apply them. And another person is Pete Blaber, who was uh, army special ops, officer a little more recently in the War on Terror and he has a book called The Mission The Men and Me. What that book is about is about his leadership philosophy of, you know, the mission first, then the folks that served under him, and then himself, right? And his career gain came last. And so that's kind of where, you know, I started talking about the mission and then our people, you know, if you're the leader and then yourself. It's not that you always put yourself last, but you do. You know, your career aspirations, your safety, all has to become after those who serve under you. You have to make sure that they're taken care of first. You know, I've had other people read his book, and they didn't really take out of it what I got out of it, but I got a lot out of it because he took a lot of examples from his military career, and he was a Delta Force officer, so he's led at some really high levels, and he took experiences he had, and he said, hey, this is how I applied it to my leadership algorithm or how I view leadership. He had some really, really good stories on, for example, one of his chapters was um, don't get Treated by a chihuahua. And so the message was, is don't make knee-jerk decisions, process information, and then make a decision. When he was trying out for Delta Force, he thought a bear was after him, to make a long story short. Well, it was a pot pig. And so he ended up jumping off of this trail down this little hill, and it was going to take him a while to get back up. And everything that he was doing for that selection process had a time hack on it. In his mind, he's like, I realized this pot belly pig just really scared me, and now I might not get selected for this unit because I had a knee-jerk reaction. So his message in that whole chapter was, as a leader, you can't make knee-jerk reactions, right? Absorb the information, let that information sink in, and then make your decision. And that that doesn't mean you always have time to process a lot. You know, like you go on a fire and you have very little time. But say you're dealing with one of your subordinates and an incident comes up, don't knee-jerk react, but absorb the information, Understand what's going on, and then make that decision. So he had a lot of really good material that has helped me, you know, shape how I view my role as a leader. Not necessarily as a leader that um, the people have um, given me that title, but because of rank, you, you you come in a leadership position. Is how can I be better at that? And you learn from Patton and General Abrams just these little things. And not that they wrote a book. This is how I'm a leader but you just take some of the example that they said and you can apply those things. And, you know, they did those things at big times in history um, and and they were really, really successful. So those are just a few few people that really had an impact on how leaders behave.
0: Chief, I want to thank you for being on the first podcast. And if we're the only two listeners, so be it. But uh, I think it's something exciting that we're going to try to do. And I, I was really happy that you're here to help me launch it. for listening to the sharpen your axe podcast we're here to share insights from the field lessons learned and examples of leadership excellence dedicated to developing stronger fire department leadership to better serve the community make sure you subscribe and share with anyone who might benefit from listening for questions suggestions or if you have a story you'd like to share contact us at gfrpodcast at cityofgainesville.org